Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Just in our evening service, it's just kind of passing through. And uh, Brother Adrian Sanford will be with us again on March the 21st in the evening service. Also, I believe it's been on our screen, but we have a uh, overflow rally here for our section. Pardon me. It's not on the screen, but it's okay to say it. Yeah, we have an overflow rally for our section. Just make sure stuff. Listen, with COVID stuff, anytime can change. So I'm just, you know, uh, overflow rally here in our section, going to be here at our church uh, on the 27th of March. That's a Saturday, and I believe that's supposed to be at 3 p.m. our time, 2, 2 p.m., sorry. I'll make note of that. Amen. So uh, that's coming up as well here within this month. Amen. Sorry if you'll give me a moment to write in my calendar. <laughs> Amen. We're going to be turning to Jonah chapter number 1. I don't write it, it's as well as gone. So there we have it. Amen. Time's going to change back again next month. Really not too many weeks from now. What about a couple? Something like that. 14th, yep. So yeah, so that's coming soon. And uh, it's getting more and more daylight day by day. It makes me so happy. So happy. Embrace the light. <laughs> Amen. John chapter number one, going to read one verse of scripture. Again, this is more so on the character of John that we're looking at. So no one get nervous that he just spent last week one service on two verses and now he's just reading one verse. <laughs> this, is, this is not necessarily the book. We're considering the character. And to add insult to injury, Brother Mason, whenever I uh, was up this morning, I was kind of skimming over the notes that I'd made. They looked smaller to me, and I went in a smaller font. I typically know about how many pages I am. And so whenever I got here and I put it to the font, which was two font sizes bigger where I normally was, that increases the number of pages. So let's ask God to help us today. Jonah chapter number one and verse number three. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord amen so last week we heard the word of the Lord coming to Jonah giving him a specific instruction and Jonah has now just basically totally disobeyed what the Lord said. For a little while this morning, I want to talk to us about the price of disobedience. The price of disobedience. Amen. Father, I come to you this morning. I'm thankful, Lord, for yet another day to sing of your praises. God, to come into your house and, Lord, to magnify your name, to understand, God, that 
we have been made lord your people god that we are the sheep of your pasture lord so to speak and that you're mindful of us god i'm so grateful today lord for that help us god always to have an ear that is open to the voice of the lord god and the spirit that is willing to subject ourselves God, I pray, Lord, to the dictates of that spirit. Lord, we will not fail to thank you and praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. You know, there are many things that we could say this morning that we admire about the word of the Lord or about the Bible and the way in which it is written, but perhaps... Uh, one of the greatest things that I admire about the word of the Lord is that it paints humanity, paints even people that we would esteem as the heroes of faith in Scripture. It paints them uh, with warts, flaws, and all. It doesn't just highlight all of the good accomplishments or things that they had done in their lifetimes or for a kingdom, so on and so forth, but it also paints uh, their failures and their mistakes and where they tripped up and where they had difficulties as well. And so that's what we see uh, in the life of Jonah. Uh, we're not just focusing on the fact that he got to Nineveh and he did deliver the message and a city was saved as a result of it, but we are seeing pivoted along the way uh, the mistakes, the failures, the disobedience that led up to his moment of obedience. And so uh, as the Bible reveal, reveals those failures, uh, it, it teaches us that, you know what? These people of the Scripture are not so much different than we are. Right. And that humanity is uh, humanity wherever you go. I was having a discussion with someone this week. I even don't remember what the context was. It might, might have been a dentist appointment or another appointment I had uh, this week and uh, just said, you know what? Just people are people. People are people. It don't matter what state you're in, really culture you're in, so on and so forth. There are certain there are certain themes or certain threads that is common throughout all humanity. And, and people are just people. Faults, failures, obediences, all these other things. And so while Jonah has his own set of mistakes, as we all do, it doesn't, though, dissuade us from being intrigued by his life and what was accomplished in his life. And as a matter of fact, it kind of gives me a little bit of hope because it makes me understand that I can have shortcomings and still learn, learn from them and still do something for God. Right. So that it tells us that none of us uh, can start just stacking up. Well, I've made mistakes and I've done that and say, well, just boop on it there's no use for God Rome uh, you would have to throw uh, uh, everybody out from Genesis to Revelation if that was the case because everybody had their shortcomings their mistakes and their pitfalls and yet many of them learned from them and went ahead and did great things for God great things for God and so by all appearances though this is the fact concerning disobedience by all appearances, sometimes people's disobedience or their actions that are, are contrary to God, contrary to even what God has said. Many times people's obedience to a to an onlooker, to someone that's not in the situation, to someone that's just an observer. It looks like their disobedience just all of a sudden just happened. It's looked like, you know, I've sometimes even as a pastor in my back, my mind is like, where in the world did that come from? You know, it just seems like it happens all of a sudden. But I want us to understand this morning and note well that the spontaneity or the suddenness of a moment 
Even whenever it comes to seeing a disobedience in anyone's life, it's usually the result of some smoldering thought or repressed feeling that's been taking place on the inside. Beforehand, before it ever manifested itself on the outside. So when you're asking where in the world did that come from, it's been in the work. Just hidden by human eye. It's been in the work somewhere. And so God gives Jonah some direction in verse number two, as we've seen last week. And now in verse number three, it seems like without any indication of delay, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of forethought that Jonah's, hmm, should I, should I not? There's none of this contemplation. He goes from hearing the voice of the Lord, verse number three, disobey the voice of the Lord. That, that seems quite sudden. Where, where did that come from? Rapid disobedience, amen, came all of a sudden, as it would seem, to the observers or the onlookers. But the fact of the matter, a sudden disobedience is usually always linked to the evidence of an inward spiritual decline. <laughs> Someone just don't wake up and decide, I'm just going to disobey today. That doesn't happen. It's something that happens within the heart and the mind before it ever materializes in the life. As an outsider, as me, as a pastor, sometimes I'm shocked. I'm like, what? What's going on? You know, what are they thinking? It's a suddenness. It's a surprise to me. But in reality, that person has been thinking in the wrong direction for some time. No wonder we need the word of God so that we can guard our hearts and minds. Huh? Because before we ever do anything in the external, it's already going to take place internally with inside of us. Whenever a person backslides, as an observer, many times it looks like they jump into that position with both feet. They, they go and do everything that is contrary that they've been taught, that the word of the Lord teaches them. They do it all. I mean, just from head to toe. They just do everything. Blip, 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 blip. As it would seem, they just jump in with both feet. But I'm here to tell you that backsliding is not gradual. Backsliding is not gradual. It isn't abrupt. It takes place over time. But in the moment, whenever it's apparent to everybody, it seems like they're disassociating with anything that, 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 that used to sanctify them or separate them and set them apart. Amen. Then on the other hand, they're no longer cultivating a relationship with God. And so what we see as an event was really a marathon. Somewhere along the line within the heart and the mind of the person, they started to separate from God. Someone say amen. Amen. John Butler says this. He says, the reason for this is that we are conditioning ourselves spiritually to react disobediently more than we are conditioning ourselves to obey. In other words, he's saying in our lives, sometimes the way that we live our lives, the way that we order our lives, we're setting ourselves up for disobedience more than obedience. Well, someone say glory. Our inward lives will dictate our outward lives. That's the reason why the preachers and the teachers and those generations before us, they get up here and they talk about protecting our minds and they get up here and talk to us about Bible devotion and prayer and fasting and attending the house of God. Folks, they're, not, they're, they're just not blowing smoke. You know what they come to realize? Before it ever breaks down out here, it'll break down inside of here. And once it breaks down inside of here, it will manifest, manifest itself eventually on the outside. What are you saying? We're, we're not 
not just up here wasting breath when we talk about don't forsake prayer. Don't forsake prayer. Don't forsake. Get you a devotion this year. Read your Bible. You know what we're saying? You got to have it right on the inside because if not, it's going to fall apart. It's. Amen. These are the safeguards for obedience within our lives. The Bible says in Luke 6 and verse 45, a common uh, scripture here, Jesus is speaking a good man out of the good treasure of his heart, bringing forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringing forth that which is evil. Everybody knows this phrase, right? For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now, we understand that, but I believe that in many other ways. Basically, what's on the inside is going to come to the outside. Amen. And that covers the scale all over. But there's another thing concerning obedience, not disobedience, rather. Not only does it seem to happen suddenly to the eyes of the onlookers, but disobedience, this is what disobedience does. Disobedience separates us. You'll note very particularly in the word of God that Jonah did rise up. That was one of the things he was called to do by God. But the Bible says that he fled unto Tarshish look at the wording now twice in this simple little verse from the presence of the Lord he rose up and he went away from the presence of the Lord disobedience will separate you from the presence of God Adam and Eve in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, not long after Adam and Eve disobeyed and took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we read in scripture in verse 8 of Genesis 3 that they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Disobedience separated them from the presence of God. Not only that, Early on in the family of well, Cain and Abel, the, the sons of Adam and Eve. Cain rises up against Abel, takes the life of his brother, and the Bible says concerning Cain, guess what? He went out from the presence of the Lord. Now here's something important, I think, concerning Cain that we need to consider introspectively concerning ourselves. Cain spoke to God. He went out from the presence of the Lord. That's plainly what Scripture says. He went out from the presence of the Lord. But Cain tried to couch it in terms as though God was the one that drove him out. God, I'm a fugitive and I'm a a, a vagabond. And in reality, it's because of you. No, Cain. God didn't drive you from his presence. Your disobedience drove a wedge between you and your God. Listen, folks, whenever you get in your mind that you're not wanting to serve the Lord, you'll look for every other reason to place upon the church, the pastor, and anybody in the church to make it their reason. No, 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 no. I'm not trying to be the gloom and doom preacher today, but if it happens, disobedience is the separator. Disobedience is the wedge that's driven between you and your God. Disobedience will drive you from the things that you used to love and the people you used to love. Glory. Amen. And here is a misconception concerning disobedience. And this is, this is proved throughout God's word. And that is this. And let me preface this by saying this. I can't always say that it'll always be hard or it'll always be easy when you do the will of God, okay? I can't say those blanket statements. It'll always be easy or it'll always be hard. For the same token, I cannot tell you or I cannot say it'll always be hard or it'll always be easy when you refuse to do the will of God. Because sometimes people want to equate things. Well, if you're doing the will of God, it's all going to be okay. 
right? Or on the flip side, sometimes you want to say, well, if you're not doing the will of God, it's just going to be headache and heartache and blah, blah, blah. It's not always that way. I've seen some people do the will of God and it's been hell for them on earth. And I've seen others not do the will of God and it's been smooth sailing. And both David and Job seems to think of Job. You can read of David in the Psalms, Job in his own book, the book of Job. They constantly looked at the wicked and they thought, wow, the wicked are really prospering. The wicked are really having it good. The wicked are really faring well according to their estimation. As a matter of fact, they were both a little bothered by the fact. You know, David's like, Lord, I'm trying to serve you and try to walk uprightly before you. And Job, here he is, perfect and the upright man, doing everything that would seem to be a proper, amen, concerning God. And yet he's got boils on his body. He's lost all of his livestock. He's lost his family. David's being chased as a fugitive through the mountains and through the caves. They have all this trouble going on. And they're seeming like, God, the wicked are really prospering. Amen. And I'm trying to be faithful to you and I'm struggling. And it's a misconception that's even painted in scripture that seems like people have success with disobedience. Just watch me right here. Look at Jonah. He decides not to obey God. He goes down to Joppa along the seashore. We don't read of any trouble or record that he had from his trip from where he lived down to Joppa. It seemed like, well, he went and that was such. When he got to Joppa, he found a ship that was selling to Tarshish. That's where he wanted to go. It's not like they were all out of the arbor and already on trips. When he got there, he found a ship going in the very direction that he wanted to go. That seems to be, man, things are going good for Jonah and he's disobeying the Lord. Someone say amen. <laughs> and he's going to be sailing away on the ship not, not too long from now. But let me tell you, it is a dangerous place whenever we see disobedience as a success route. Amen. Because we'll start to misinterpret our actions. We'll start to feel justified in what we're doing. Whenever there are no hiccups or bumps in the road, then we feel like every decision we've made then must be all right. Because nothing's bad happened. Huh? Whenever you see what seems like God's providence favoring disobedience, we often conclude, well, God must be all right with what I'm doing. Well, Brother McGee, I've not had no problems. Brother McGee, everything has went well. Brother McGee, that door just seemed to open. Someone say, oh, God, help me. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11, uh, the preacher Solomon says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. You know what that means? Because there's been no consequence for being wicked or disobedience then people believe there's that approval and they'll go on doing it because they feel like they're approved in what they're doing. Though in their mind, they know they're doing exactly against the things concerning God. <laughs> but listen, there's no better, there's no better uh, uh, pattern of humanity that when they know they're doing wrong, they want other things to be able to stack on the other end of the scale to say it's all right. 
David spoke of in Psalm 73. He talked about the prosperity of the wicked. The psalmist spoke of the reality of the prosperity of the wicked. Amen. For that matter, the majority probably of our society and our world is bent on evil or on wickedness. Amen. As far as whenever it comes to being estranged from God. And so what that means is this this morning. Our surroundings and our environment is conducive for a successful undertaking in the wrong direction. Everything around us is in a position to aid and help us to go in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. If I could say it like this, if there was a ship in the harbor to lead us away from God, then there's probably 20 ships today in the harbor. Jonah goes down, finds one headed to Tarshish. If we were to go down trying to flee from God today, we'd probably find 25 because our surroundings and our environment is just set up for walking away from God, from truth, from the divine. Amen. Aiding, if you will, people's pursuits in running away from the presence of God. Yeah, sure it is. Sure it is. Whenever I talk to my parents or before they pass my grandparents and I read about or heard about, you know, their pastimes, their pastimes getting together with other people, you know, and the family showing up homes. And when they were there, you know what they did? They usually went somewhere to the degree of singing church songs on a, on a, 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 a guitar, flat top guitar or, 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 or some accordion. And they would sing songs and they would work. That was their that was their having a good time. I'm serious. That was their having a good time. They got together. They didn't talk about anything else in society except God. Grandma McGee was still here. I, I, I challenge you if you would try to have a conversation with her without her talking about God. That was their extracurricular activity. God. See, now we have a whole lot of other things that's pulling. That automatically sets us in an environment predisposed to walking away. glory yeah help me Jesus amen but here we must understand if we're looking at Jonah and we're considering well he, he had good fortune he he made the trip to Joppa he found a ship that was headed to Tarshish he got on it he was on his way man this he had good fortune but you must you must judge fortune by two different ways the world standards and the word standards amen for instance, everybody say, I love you, Pastor. I'm digging in here, okay? I'm just warning you ahead of time. Not every time you get the jab, I know it's coming, but it's coming. For instance, someone disobedient in tithing, oh God, may leverage that they got their house and their car paid off quickly. Just hold on to me for a moment. And so they justify not returning their tithe to God because surely God don't want us in debt. Hold on to me for a moment. He'd rather us be the lender and not the borrower. That's worldly reasoning with attempting a churchy twist. Hold on with me. Many in here this morning, me one of them, would already have my home paid off. And I paid off several vehicles in my time already, but we already have my home paid off. 
and vehicles paid for. If I took the money I invested in the kingdom and invested it in my own coffers. But to do so, hear me frankly, would be disobedience to the word of God. The missing element in my life then would be sacrifice in the area of finances. My home's temporal. My car's temporal. My land's temporal. They will break down. But the kingdom of God, it's eternal. And most people will approve their courses and their actions that they have favorable circumstances and outcomes. But the question is, does God approve of your outcome? My house would already be paid off, Brother Mason. It would already be paid off. Absolutely. And then, I mean, if I never paid tithes in the entirety of my life, I'd probably have quite a house. I'd probably have quite the vehicle. But that's not what this life or the next one is about. We get blinded sometimes about what this life is about. It's not near about what you think it's about. This is the preparation room for eternity. And I don't have to save face and I don't have to rub elbows with the Rockefellers or anybody else. If I know whenever I die that the spirit of God dwells inside of me and I've been obedient to his purpose and his word, then all that other stuff, the moment my last breath goes out of my mouth, the car don't matter, the house don't matter, the job don't matter, none of it. None of it matters. None of it. It doesn't matter how smooth or uneventful Jonah's trip to Joppa was. And Brother Malone, even if there were 30 ships setting at the arbor to take him to Tarshish, none of that matters. No matter how favorable those circumstances may have been, hear me clearly, it never justifies blatant disobedience. Now that's a bold statement. And that's a strong statement, but it is a true statement. Paul cautioned the authorities about selling in Acts 27. The weather at the time in Acts 27 was not too favorable to sell. He says in Acts 27 verse 11, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul, which were the only man there with spiritual insight. And verse 12, and because the haven was not commodious to winter. Here's the picture. They're in a haven. It's not real commodious. Let me state it this way, and we'll get to the definition of commodious. It wasn't real comfortable for them to winter there. Let's even dig in a little bit more. It wasn't real convenient for them. To stay. But Paul's word of spiritual insight is this. We need to stay. Rather than sell. But Paul. It's not very commodious. It's not very convenient. It's not very comfortable. See here's where we get in that mindset. Obedience doesn't always feel comfortable. And obedience isn't always convenient for the flesh of Paul McGee. 
He says, it's come, not commodious to winter in. The more part of eyes to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenus and there to winter, which is a haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. Verse 13, and when, everybody say when. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. What's that meaning? They left the arbor. That Paul said we should stay at, though it feels not commodious or convenient to you. They left it because there's a south favorable wind blowing. And they thought, this is it. This is our purpose. This is the time to go. But it was totally in disobedience to the only man on the ship that had any spiritual insight. The centurion did not believe the caution that Paul gave, though no doubt it was ordered by God. And one of the reasons he chose not to believe Paul again was because where they were stationed, that haven was not, to their estimation, commodious to winter in. Again, and the word there simply in the Greek means it wasn't convenient. Folks, if we could pan around the mic, we could hear from each one here if they really wanted to, to, to divulge how different things in their life wasn't convenient to obey God whenever God said obey. Or if we go back to, there were times that it wasn't convenient to give. Other things were barking. <laughs> right? But it's something that's called faith and trust. I'm going to surrender it to God and have faith and trust. That he'll stay true to who he is. And so they thought it wasn't commodious. The south wind blew softly. And since that was favorable, that's what I need to obtain. That will help me obtain my purpose. Folks, what we have there in, in Acts 27 is nothing more but another story of disobedience. This goes without saying, but I'll say it. People sometimes refuse to cleave to the will of God. Because the will of God isn't always convenient to the flesh of the human. It's not easy. Somebody wants to go live on Easy Street in Mount Carmel, I guess, because it's not easy sometimes. Nothing against whoever lives on Easy Street, by the way. I just know we have one here in Mount Carmel. Amen. It's not always comfortable to do God's will. It's not always comfortable to be obedient. It doesn't always feel good. It don't always feel right to our flesh. Whew. And it seems like when you're struggling with some of those things internally, you know what will show up? Some favorable south wind. Just a test. I can could, I could remove the discomfort right now, Sister Rhonda. If I just start to sail with the south wind, I, I could end all of this, this, this agony and despair if I just, and this is so favorable. Am I hearing me? It may be, but it's not God's will. It's not God's will. I'm looking for, you know, we're sitting there looking for the next direction that takes away all the uneasiness, huh? Oh, it'll be right and proper because it's going gonna, it's gonna to make life better for me. So it's going to, you know, 
I caution today, be careful about the south winds that cause you to argue away God's will. Remember, we said this last week, that the will of God is bound up in the word of God. And if you do his will, watch me here, and suffer, fear not. Because Christ also suffered while doing the will of God. Philippians 3 and verse 10, let me tell you, I guarantee you he suffered more than we have. Philippians 3 and verse 10, he says that I, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Woo, yeah. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable. In the Greek, being made to render like, being made to assimilate unto his death. Verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto, hold on now. See, he's talking about knowing him and the power of his resurrection. Now he's saying, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. How? By also taking part in the fellowship. Resurrection didn't happen without that man Christ Jesus going through some torture and pain of suffering to take him ultimately to death to set up the stage for resurrection. Resurrection doesn't happen unless something died. And the means for Christ getting to death was torture and suffering. Paul says, I want the power of the resurrection and I might obtain it if what? I can tie a knot during suffering. If I can deal with sometimes it being inconvenient and uncomfortable and not easy and it's not pleasing to my flesh. If I can, if I can bear in those moments, if I can be long suffering in those moments, I might be able to attain to the power of his. Everybody wants to join in the resurrection, but not everybody wants to die and go through the suffering that sets you up for it. requires death in order for me to be rendered unto his death death or assimilate into his death i must take the fellowship of his oh it's hard to come off my lips sufferings i must be a participator in the sufferings here's the important thing yet it's god's will nonetheless you're telling me that suffering can be part and parcel part of god's god's will yeah. Woo. For that matter, look at this verse. This whole suffering of Christ, it pleased God. Watch it. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah 53 and verse 10. This is what the prophet Isaiah said. Yet it pleased the Lord, and it's speaking prophetically forward concerning Jesus. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. And when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pl- now, that's not a phrase that you see, you know, like someone's going to type out on their computer and put it on the refrigerator. But it might not be a bad one to put along with all the others of, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. When the enemy comes in like a flood, put up there, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That would probably be more real to life than any. God, this is inconvenient for me. That's all right. It's pleasing to me. 
God, this is uncomfortable. It's pleasing to me. Why? Because you're sticking with it and you're not trying to find a south wind. Sometimes we're looking for the in the moment gratification. The Bible tells us, I believe it is in, in Romans, or, or not Romans, it's a little later, Hebrews, talking about because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and the shame and everything that went with it. It wasn't pleasurable, the cross and those hours there and the darkness and the blood and the, the mocking and the spitting and the crown, all that. No, no, no. But he knew that it's not the moment, the, the, the gratification that can come in the moment because I could call a legion of angels right now and get me off this tree. No problem. Whatsoever. I have a south wind. I have a south wind. But the south wind won't come to the result of what needs to happen in this moment. There's a gratification. It's delayed gratification, but it's after the suffering is over. Woohoo! It's after the suffering is over. It's after the storm is over. It's after this moment of inconvenience. Hallelujah! There is joy that is set. My God, folks, some of us may suffer our, all of our years upon this earth, but the fact of the matter is there is joy that is set before us. All of the suffering ends at the grave. If you're a child of God, there's a place of no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. My God. Oh, yes. That's right, Asher. Surely. Surely. But Brother McGee, why in the world do I got to suffer? Because some of us wouldn't make it to heaven unless we did. Some of us can't handle all the good. Because we would seek it rather than God. Some people can't handle certain amounts of money. Because they would wrap their life up in riches instead of God. Some of us have to have suffering so that we place dependency upon God and what he's doing in the moment of our suffering many times is keeping our souls saved as long as we hold on to the unchanging. I can't, I can't play... I can't play the person and say, well, why can, can they? Listen, we all have different temperaments, different personalities, and the Lord knows all of them. Tendencies, proclivity, he knows them all. I got to just trust that he does. And if God gave them that and they can live for God like that, then they, God knows them better than I do. I might not have necessarily the direct line or reason why all of my suffering happens, but I just got to trust the one that does know. God was pleased with the suffering of Christ because it granted and gained his will in the earth. Amen. <laughs> See, we're, we as humanity, as individuals, we're many times pleased with not suffering. God's pleased because there's bruised. We're pleased with not being bruised. Why? Not because it attained God's will, because it attained our will. I like sidestepping the inconvenient, sidestepping the uncomfortable, all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But disobedience will try to render success. Disobedience will try to ensure that you find your ship headed in the direction that you want to go. The lyrical phrase, the lyrical phrase from a song of wherever you are, wherever you're going, it's just a few phrases from that song that says this, but the will of God won't lead you where the grace of God can't keep you. 
you will never be out of his care. Remember that the Lord's already there. The will of God won't lead you. It's leading me into suffering, Brother McGee. That's all right. The grace of God can keep you. The will of God is leading me into some uncomfortable and convenient, inconvenient places, Brother McGee. That's all right. The, the grace of God can keep you. Someone say amen. Ooh, hallelujah. Everybody say disobedience has a price. He gets on his ship that seems to be fortune for him, leaves the presence of God. Our eyebrows should go up on that. Goes down to Joppa and he gets on the boat and the Bible says, so he paid the fare thereof. He paid. There is no reluctance in Jonah because disobedience, it has a price, but sadly we are too eager sometimes to pay the fare thereof. Because we're already duped into thinking, Brother Malone, that it's all proper, such a fortunate exchange. The boat's here. What better, you know? Providence. I'm lucky. Whatever. But he paid the fare. John Butler says this. He said, men seldom begrudge expenses. Oh, my God. Men seldom begrudge expenses to carry out their own will. But they may be reluctant to spend it to do God's will. And when it comes to their own will, they'll become very liberal, whatever the cause, whatever the price. <laughs> the fare that Jonah paid to get on the ship, and this is important today, was only his first installment toward disobedience. Disobedience many times doesn't exact the cost all at once. Ooh, God. But it, it, it has you making installments, payments along the way and he has quite a hefty interest it's kind of like if you get done paying something for several years and you have interest and you see how much you really paid for it it didn't feel so bad as you was making those installments but when you see the bulk prize god help us it, 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 you're making installments on disobedience listen folks it wasn't long if you go to luke 15 it wasn't long and to end the story of, of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, it wasn't long until the Bible records that he, the prodigal, spent all. He spent all. He went and lived, and lived his life on riotous living. He's making installments in his disobedience until he had spent all. Go on and ask Samson about the accumulative cost of disobedience. At one time, he's bringing in 30 changes of garments for somebody. It's not much later that his hair is taken, his eyes, his vision is taken, his esteem and integrity is taken until the ultimate exchange, life. Because of wandering eyes down to, you know... Timnath or down to Eshkol or down to all these different areas that he's seen, these women that he was interested in and the things that he did, what was happening. Just a little exchange. Just pay a little fare. Okay, I will. Here, you can have that. You can have this. Until finally, the final exchange was his whole life was traded for his disobedience. 
years, years ago, I, I pinned this, and it, it, it comes from an old Henry, uh, Henry David Thoreau quote. Henry David Thoreau, uh, he was echoing something in his writings. He said this. He said, the price of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it. The price of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it. Whenever I read that years ago in my mind, I thought, man, you know, in my lifetime, I've witnessed people give mere minutes of their life to things that eventually squandered years from their life. That they had these little isolated moments that later, in essence, Brother Malone demanded a whole lifetime. How in the world can this be? And I believe it is this, that we have a skewed idea concerning values. We're willing to pay the price for the things that we want and value. So in many instances, the exchange that we have is seldom all at once. It is, in many regards, installments. Sadly, people make these little installments, sometimes haphazardly and mindlessly. They make these installments to only conclude in the end that they have given their lifetime to something that could never increase or appreciate in value. Someone say amen. So it would be horrible to be at the end of the life and realize I've invested in something that can't truly benefit the soul of Paul McGee. Scripture in Matthew 16 kind of predates everything that Mr. Thoreau said. It says, for what shall it profit a man? If he, gain, if he shall gain the whole world, and lose his own soul. He even goes a step further and says, or what, and the wording I believe is important, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What shall a prophet man, if he gained the whole world, he gains the whole world, and he loses soul? Listen, an exchange is made. I gain the world, I lose my soul. And then the other question follows up, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, this is just me. Whenever the Spirit hit me, how many years ago that this was, the first exchange was gaining the world. There's my soul. But now I'm in a position I want to get my soul back. And what is important to me in the second question is this. It's not what shall a man receive in exchange for his soul. It's what will a man give, see? He's not receiving. He's not giving away his soul at that point. He's trying to get back his soul. What is he giving in exchange for his soul? Someone hear me right now? So here's the fact of the matter, though. When you've given away your soul, what do you have aptly in order to buy it back? What do you have to give? <sighs> Folks, we got to ask ourselves, what have I spent? What have I spent a lifetime to obtain? What have I spent a lifetime to obtain? We got a head on. If this font was smaller, it wouldn't be as many pages. <laughs> Disobedience. He goes to Joppa by the Mediterranean Sea. He gets on the ship. He pays the fare. The Bible says he went down into the ship. 
And as we follow the, the path of Jonah, he is on a downward path. And that is the path of disobedience. Amen. He goes down into the ship. That's a physical descent. Yes, he had left the hills of Gath Hefer from which he came, from which he was stationed first of all. And then he goes down to Joppa, which is sea level. Uh, Gath Hefer was in a, a hilly mountainous area. So there is a physical descent from above sea elevation down to uh, sea elevation. And now he goes down even further into a ship and later in the book of Jonah we will read that he goes down into a fish that goes down into the sea he is on this downward decline type of motion literally in the Bible Jerusalem which is known as the city of God is located on mount on a mountain the house of God the city of God is up on a mountain so when people go to the house of God in the Psalms you read of the songs of degrees and the sometimes called the songs of a sense because if you were going to go to Jerusalem the house of God city of God it was always usually a literal physical ascent up to the house of God but I believe there's more than just a physical description here I believe there is a spiritual connotation as well amen since the city of God is high and you're always going up to it somehow when you disobey God and leave God there is only one way to describe your path it's a descent it's a fall. It is more than just a physical descent. It is a descent of the welfare of your soul of disobedience that's going further and further down. Think for a moment. Whenever we talk about Sister Rhonda in the book of Genesis and we talk about that first transgression, how many times have you heard the first transgression referred to as the rise of man? Never. What do they call it? The, the fall of man. Because in disobedience, you're not rising. You're falling. And ironically, you have to be an outsider really to look at this. Ironically, Jonah was paying more and more to go further and further down. He paid a price to decline. He paid a price to deteriorate. He, he paid a price for his loss. And the Bible says that he got on the ship and he went with them. That's referring to the mariners. It's referring to the sailors. It's referring to those that are on the ship that's headed to Tarshish. He went with them. They're going away from where he needs to be, but he's going with them. I'm not saying always, but I'm saying perhaps many times. Listen to me clearly. That our constant associates, people that we constantly, I say constantly with purpose, constantly associates, constantly befriend, constantly hang around, may be advertising our spiritual condition. In other words, those you feel most comfortable hanging out with may indicate, indicate what you are most like. Because most people gravitate towards people they are comfortable with. True or untrue? You know, if you're talking about just basic groups in society, farmers going to congregate with farmers, teachers of teachers, you know, they have that, 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 that thread of commonality that they associate with. The Bible says in Proverbs 13 and verse 20, it says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. 
The old proverb that we, you know, you use with your kids or whatever. You know, if you lie down with dogs, you'll get up with fleas. Birds of a feather flock together. We must be careful with who we associate with Jonah. He went with them. He went with them. (laughs) The mariners, though, as it is with Jonah, the mariners didn't necessarily corrupt Jonah. They just simply revealed how off base Jonah had come to. Because he was more willing to go with them than he was to go with him. Proverbs 22 and verse 24. I'm getting there, folks. I'll run. I'll run. Okay. How do you? It says, make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, thou shalt not go. Verse 25. Let's thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. Now, for this instance, this is speaking of an angry man. Be careful fellowshipping with him, lest you learn his ways. Why I believe that in Scripture has it so pertinent for an angry man. I believe in this case, this can be any relationship that we're involved with. Be careful of the friendships you make with the drinking bean. I'm not you saying, well, how are we ever saying? Yeah, you do save him, but you don't make constant associates. You just don't make constant associates unless you learn their ways. Amen? We're not as strong as we think we are sometimes. Because people, I've always said this, in relationships or anything else, people are one of two things to you. They're either a liability or an asset. Everybody you come in contact with your life is either a liability or an asset. They're either calling you up higher or you're, they're bringing you down lower. And you likewise, you, you can call other people up higher as well. And if you're entered into some of those relationships where someone needs to be called up higher, so be it. But what you got to watch is if you, the opposite is happening. If you're going to come be the great witness for them and instead of calling them up, they're pulling you down. Because if that's starting to happen, you might be learning their ways. Glory, someone say amen. And look what. Look what the Proverbs writer said, learning their ways, and it's a snare to your physical body. No, 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 no. Your soul. Your soul. I end with this. Stand with me so I can quit. Just a few verses of Scripture here to read to you. Proverbs 12 and verse 15. The way of a fool, everybody say fool, is right in his own eyes. He that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Romans 1 and verse 22, just a little beginning of the verse there, when they started serving the creature more than the creator and all that, it says professing themselves to be wise, they became, I'm going to say this quite frankly and quite bluntly, disobedience is stupid. Throughout the scripture, sinners of all kinds All kinds of varying hues are labeled as fools in the Bible because disobedience is just stupid. Don't leave the one you love. Don't abandon the word of God. It's just stupid. The Bible says in Galatians 3 and verse 1, Paul said to the Galatians, he said, oh, foolish Galatians. He said, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? He said, you disobeyed, you fools. What are you doing? He says in verse 3, are ye so foolish having begun in the spirit that you're now made perfect by the flesh? 
that you're stupid. You, you can't end in the flesh and begin in the spirit. That's not the way it's supposed to work. If you start in the spirit, you want to end in the spirit. You can't accomplish in the flesh what needs to be accomplished in the spirit. That's foolish. Mr. Butler says this. He says, Jonah tried to escape from God, but ended up colliding with God. He endeavored to manage his own life apart from God only to manage himself in trouble with God, with those around him. I close with this this morning. Simply disobedience is the most exhaustive silical pattern that leads to nowhere. Disobedience takes you right back to the place where you started. Away from God. Huh? It exhausts your efforts. It exhausts your energy. It leaves a path of, of destruction and disaster behind you. Proof. Think real quickly with me, Romans, and I'm closing. The Bible said, because of one man's disobedience, many were made sinners that's referring to adam folks i believe that should be just enough for me that there's just a stupidity i'm not trying to be you know i'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings here today because we've all been stupid but there's just a stupidity with obedience and there is a price just because it comes little by little you might think you're not paying anything but whenever it's paid off, it's going to be too late to wag your head of what you, what you gave. I could start out this morning, we could go offline, and I could start out talking about personal stories within my own life or family. About the cost of disobedience. And I could get really down dirty with you concerning that. And I have in certain elements of places that I've preached. There is a price always. It is not free, and it's not wise. Whew, heavy cloud. Should be enough conviction in here to pray through, you know. If we can bow our heads in this place this morning, Brother Mason, if you could go and come quickly, and I know I've been long. We're going to look, and again, folks, the Bible paints the picture so real. We, we celebrate with Jonah finally being obedient to God. But before he was, he had a moment of disobedience. And that is just so real to each and every one of our lives. Times that we have made a choice or that we've pulled away or we took the step of a decline rather than a raising up higher. Amen. We, we wanted to follow, if you will, the south winds that were favorable and convenient and felt better and more accommodating to our human flesh and mind thinking. But there is a word of God and there is a will of God that extends from that word of God. And sometimes that will requires suffering of us. Sometimes that will requires sacrifice of us. In my common phrase, you know well that God always keeps good records. And he sees us in the crucible of our suffering, in the crucible of our pain and our agony. He knows all about that, folks. But really, it's not, it's not the 70 some odd years that man's going to spend upon this earth. Amen. And all the earthly things that I involve myself in. No, 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 no. I just have one, one, one focus. And that's heaven and trying to the best of my ability to touch and influence as many people in this life to want to go there as well. 
because all this other doesn't matter. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.